KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Hey, it's Matt Leon. I want to share something different from the KYW News Radio Original Podcast team. If you listen to In Depth, you know we like to break down what's happening in Philadelphia and across the country beyond the headlines. And gun violence has been all over the news more than ever in the last few years. We've got a new mini series. It's called Ricochet, part of the Gone Cold Philadelphia Unsolved Murders podcast that digs into the gun violence crisis through stories of unsolved shootings in Philadelphia. It's a deep dive into all sides of the issue with perspectives from victims, families, defendants, law enforcement, medical staff, and more. This is the first episode of Ricochet, and if you want to hear more, follow Gone Cold, Philadelphia Unsolved Murders, for new episodes every Wednesday. The audio in this episode depicts real-life violent events and may be disturbing for some listeners. Discretion is advised. I'm a crime reporter in Philadelphia. I've covered murders, shootings, sentencing hearings, trials, in a city where violence is a constant. I try to never let my emotions get the best of me. But I did cry, one time, live on the air. KYW crime and justice reporter Kristen Johansson is live with City Hall with more. Molly, uh, we just left the press conference over. Actually, In a span of hours, two toddlers have been shot in separate shootings. One died instantly. Two-year-old Nicolette Riviera was being held by her mother inside her home on Water Street near Ontario when she was shot in the back of the head with an assault-style rifle. Police say this story just broke my heart. Kenny really didn't know what to say at this. Called it outrageous, disgusting, tragic. Um, but he These victims were very young children caught in the crossfire of a city awash with guns. Again, saying that this is two children who were shot, one dead, the other one barely clinging on to life, and they hope anybody will come forward with a tip. Molly. Thanks. Kristen Johansson. From Gone Cold Philadelphia and KYW News Radio, I'm Kristen Johansson. This is Ricochet. I start most of my work days in the city courthouse, never sure where the day will take me. Some days are long and not much happens. Other times, the day morphs into tragedy. And what happened to Nicolette Rivera and Yasim Jenkins one weekend is something I will never forget. Girl, hi. How are you? A few weeks after an emotional day in court for the story I'm about to tell, I met up with defense attorney Earl Kaufman. How have you been? Okay. <laughs> yeah. We're all responsible for our own actions in, in life, regardless of how the cards are dealt. But Tavon Thomas had a unique situation. Earl represented a man named Tavon Thomas. When he was in his mother's womb, basically his mother was an alcoholic and a drug addict. And the chemicals would flow from her into him. And that was one of the starts of his problems. By all accounts, Tavon was not well cared for as a child. When he was about eight months old, something dramatic happened that would change his life and the way people saw him forever. His uncle, who was mentally infirmed, gave him a bath and put his face and body, primarily his face and head, into boiling hot water. And... 
Tavon Thomas suffered severe injury to his face and chest and body, such that he was disfigurement. His mother nicknamed him Freak. And that's what people would call him, Freak. In October of 2019, two-year-old Nicolette Rivera was an upbeat, happy, confident toddler. She's just the apple of my eye. <laughs> this is her mother, Joan Ortiz. She was a princess. She was my daughter. She was just light overall. Joan had two other children, both boys. Nicolette was her only girl. She was funny. She was tough. She was like a mixture of loving and strict. If she seen her brother doing something she, he wasn't supposed to, she was quick to try to correct him. But if it was her, it was, it was the other way around. <laughs> Nicolette had enormous big brown eyes. She had small dark curls which adorned her face. The camera loved her. Her personality just taught me to be stronger. She was a diva, but she was like as tough as a nail <laughs> all at the same time. She was just like the whole package. She taught me to forgive. <laughs> And that was even before her death. She made me a better person. Tavon Thomas never felt his mother's love. He had younger siblings, and the father wasn't there. And the mother wouldn't be home many, many times. He would take care of the siblings. He would feed them and do what he could do. But even with that, the mother would come home, and he was abused. Uh, physically and emotionally abused. He was beaten. He was beaten to the point on one time where his mother hit him over the head as a child with a frying pan, which caused the damage to his head and required staples in his head to close the injury. Despite the abuse, Earl says he loved his mother and he loved his siblings and he wanted to take care of them. Even when the mother would send him to the store to get something, No matter what he bought, it was always wrong, and therefore he would get beaten again. He says Tavon's mother wouldn't keep food in the house. Sometimes the kids didn't eat for weeks at a time unless they went to school. One time, I think one of the siblings, young ladies, called the aunt, and the aunt came and contacted DHS, and that's when they started. I think he was about 10 or 12 years of age at the time. And that's when they took him out of the home. When Tavon was 15 years old, the courts legally terminated parental rights for both his mother and father. He was kept by DHS, and he was institutionalized for a period of time. He was given medication for depression and so forth like that. He lived in a mental health facility for some time and then in different foster care homes. And DHS wanted to keep him past the age of 18. In other words, they, they really wanted to help this young man. And he, he was personable. I mean, everybody that dealt with him, I mean, he had mood swings and he had anger and so forth like that that they had to deal with. But pretty much uh, he had a smile. He, he had some positive attitude. He liked sports. He liked playing football, those type of things. Tavon couldn't get his life on track. He had a juvenile record, assault, harassment, and armed robbery. And Earl says it's because he stopped taking his medication. The arrests continued into adulthood. Charges for drugs, conspiracy, trespassing, terroristic threats. He pleaded guilty in those cases and spent time in prison. And as with all felons, he wasn't allowed to own or possess a firearm. 
He violated probation and went back to prison, and he felt betrayed by people he believed were supposed to have his back. This was a revenge shooting, and they shot at the wrong person. It all involved drugs. This, I mean, the, this is the whole thing about drugs. It was Sunday, October 20th, 2019. When she woke up, she was just glowing. She looked like she already had a halo over her head. She was just glowing that morning. She was really needy. She was on me a lot that morning. Nicolette and her family were supposed to spend the day at a nearby farm. We had breakfast. She had scrambled eggs and bacon. Um, We were getting ready, and then I remembered I had scheduled. She had spilled her coffee. Joan called a carpet cleaning service to get the stain out. Our dog was going insane. He was like barking and like he sent something. I know he did. Nicolette wanted to be held by her mother most of that day. They were eating popsicles, the twinsy ones that come with two sticks. It was around 3.30 in the afternoon. And then someone knocked on a door. Joan opened the door. It was a carpet cleaner. Nicolette grabbed onto her mother's chest. She was playing with my hair. She laid on my chest. The carpet cleaner was telling her he couldn't find parking nearby and he would have to come back another day. The toddler laid her little head on her mother's chest, right on top of her heart. I literally heard her say, Mommy, but I can I can always remember the moment she died because it was cut short. Her words were like cut short. I literally felt like someone was just ripping Nicolette out of my arms. So I held on stronger. <laughs> no one's just gonna, I just, I just felt a, a force. And then after that was a blur. She was scared and I know she was. It was sweet and, you know, daring. Like she said it with so much love. Like she knew it was gonna be her last mommy. And the way she held on to me, I'll never forget because right after she held on to me and put her head on my chest, I can just feel her being ripped off of me. Like the bullet had so much force that it felt like 10 men was like just yanking her off of me. It's like hammers being hit like on a car. Like it didn't sound like a regular gun would. It was a high powered rifle, nearly identical to an AK-47. Joan saw matter spray across the room. Her baby girl was on the floor. Joan scrambled, tried to pick up the pieces and hold it against her child's head as if her love could glue it all back together. But Nicolette was gone in a beat after laying her head on her mother's heart. The man who pulled the trigger was Tavon Thomas. Tavon Thomas of Philadelphia was taken into custody, according to Acting Commissioner Christine Coulter. Sources say he confessed. Coulter says Thomas and the first guy arrested, Freddie Perez, were involved in drugs, and they targeted the house Nicolette was in Sunday because they thought her dad was inside. Sadly, um, when they went to the house and fired the shots, the contractor who was there was mistaken for um, their target. At police headquarters, Tim Jimenez, KYW News Radio. Three men are involved in this story, including Tavon. Tavon spent significant time in jail on drug charges. Prosecutors say he was upset because he and another man, Freddie Perez, felt their group that they sold drugs with didn't get them out of jail quick enough. 
They wanted revenge. On the morning Nicolette was shot, Tavon and Freddie went to meet a man named Francisco Ortiz, and they asked him for a gun. Francisco handed over a bag with a gun inside, and he wanted to go with them. But he had a problem. Uh, We had a horrible weekend uh, this weekend when it comes to violence. Serious shooting of an 11-month-old baby and a killing of a 2-year-old baby in our house. Investigators Um, were looking for him. And the mayor, prosecutors, and police commanders held a press conference about the tragedies. They were connected. As we hear now from KWB's crime and justice reporter, Kristen Johansson, this investigation is far from over. Officials say Francisco Ortiz shot and critically injured an 11-month-old boy while he was riding in a car with his father and three others. The intended target was someone inside that car. We believe that Francisco... Prosecutors say the baby was brought along for the ride. They engaged in narcotics behavior, narcotics transactions, narcotics operations. They put their children in harm's way. Ortiz had a lengthy the baby was shot multiple times and was paralyzed from the neck down and living on a feeding tube. Francisco was charged in his shooting. Last year, that baby, Yassim Jenkins, died a few months shy of his fourth birthday. Francisco, who's already serving a life sentence for another murder, was now charged with third-degree murder in this child's death. He was found guilty, and he'll spend the rest of his life in prison. Immediately following Nicolette's death, Tavon and Freddie Perez were charged with murder. Yeah, this was not, you know, Mr. Kaufman, you know, how do you get me out of this? What should we do? It wasn't any of that. According to Earl, Tavon was sobbing when he found out he killed a two-year-old. I mean, basically, right up front, Mr. Kaufman, I did this. I'm sorry I did this. And I'll take the consequences. Tavon remained behind bars on murder charges. After a series of court proceedings, passing evidence, arguing motions, and mental health evaluations, Tavon came to court to admit he pulled the trigger, that he was the one who ended Nicolette's life. In August of 2021, Judge Lillian Ransom, Earl, the prosecutor, Joan, her mother, and Tavon all met in a courtroom. The only thing he really wanted was the mother to forgive him. And that was emotional. Moments after Tavon Thomas was sentenced to 55 to 110 years in prison, Joan Ortiz, the mother of two-year-old Nicolette Rivera, said she wanted the 27-year-old to know she forgave him. I just felt in my heart like I needed to tell him that so he can go do his time in peace. I don't hate him. Even with a face that a mother couldn't love, because that's what I've heard people say before, I know my daughter would have loved him because she was loved. She was made out of love. Kristen Johansson, KYW. No one from Tavon's family was in the courtroom. And I said to Tavon, you hear? She just said that, and you know, she forgives you. And he see, nodded, right? Yeah, he nodded. And that was the last time I saw him. Just two weeks after that hearing, wrecked by guilt, Tavon Thomas ended his own life. He hung himself. I didn't go to court that day with forgiveness in my heart. I kind of felt like that was just God. Joan blames the system for not helping Tavon, who seems to have just been a kid lost in the system. No help, no love, no support, even after being arrested multiple times. I don't think it was the prison's fault. I think the fault goes back 27 years and all the things that happened in between. That was just his last stop. 
they're not a part of my daughter's legacy like they're not a part just letting them go and letting their existence go and not giving them that power anymore like that hate because everything we put out is energy if it's hate if it's love just letting him go completely it's like taking a ton of bricks off of that house that I'm carrying on my back when we come back that's my friend Tavon, your friend? Yeah, that's my friend. We call it in face. Gone Cold presents Ricochet. We'll continue in just a minute, but right now, there's nothing quite like the Honda Accord Hybrid and the CRV Hybrid when it comes to exhilarating efficiency. With hybrid technology and thrilling capability, these vehicles deliver an electrifying performance on every drive. This new year, discover for yourself what truly makes these hybrids special. Redefine your driving experience with Honda, KBB.com's best value brand of 2023. Contact your local Honda dealer today about the Honda Accord Hybrid and the CRV Hybrid. You're listening to Ricochet. There's nothing you can do. You, you lost in the system. You lonely. It's lonely. It's very, very lonely. This is Uptown. He knew Tavon Thomas. We, we call him face. Tavon and Uptown both grew up in the East Germantown neighborhood of Philadelphia. He was a great person. Like he'd do anything for you. And they knew each other in prison. You need something, he's gonna do it for you. He wasn't like tough. He wasn't in there getting bullied. He wasn't bullying people. He just was like, he, he felt real, he was very remorseful. He used to always say, man, I'm a, he kept saying, I'm gonna kill myself. And he first called home, he said, on the phone, he said, man, I can't do this. And then he killed himself the next day. No. Uptown, his friend Jay and I sat on a porch of a two-story row home, a stone's throw from LaSalle University. There's a lot of violence in the area. You get what I'm saying? Like, not where we sit in the vicinity where we at, but it's a lot of violence in Germantown. Some of the homes here have front lawns that are overgrown with grass and weeds. Some shutters are askew, trash on the sidewalks. But the homes are generally maintained by hardworking, multi-generational families. A bunch of families, but it's very violent, though. Very violent. It's the same block where a six-year-old boy was gunned down. On August 11th of 2016, Mahaj Brown and his godfather were in a car, caught in the middle of a gun battle. It happened along Clarkson and Ashmead Street, almost exactly where I spoke with Uptown and his friend Jay. That's one incident in 20 years back here. Mahaj was shot 10 times in the legs, the chest, torso, and groin. His godfather was also hit, but was treated and released from the hospital soon after. Police picked up 50 shell casings. One of the guns used was an AK-47. Somebody randomly came through here shooting. They didn't even kill nobody, but they came through here shooting at everybody. Seanette Wilson with Fox's Philadelphia station has been covering Mahaj's recovery, speaking with him and his mother, LaPria Brown. LaPria says Mahaj developed PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. He'll be like at 100 and then just drop down to zero out of nowhere. And then you'll be like, well, what's wrong, Mahaj? 
I don't know, and then he'll just start crying. Mahaj has both psych and physical therapy during and after school. He's had nearly 50 surgeries so far, and he's in need of more still because of the injuries. A half hour later, sitting alongside his grandmother, he was able to talk to me about what he wants others to know. If they were a victim of gun violence, that they, that they shouldn't think that it's their fault. He also shared with me one of his best days a year after the shooting, around his birthday, when his family held this superhero-themed party and invited other children who are victims of gun violence. I knew like adult, like I knew there were other adults that got shot or like me. I didn't think there were other kids. They were like probably like me. They didn't know. The case still remains unsolved. That's why I have these kids walking around with masks on 100 degree weather. They can't, they can't be themselves outside because it's just like anytime somebody can see them and call them to make the phone call. So like some people feel like it's best to have a gun. If you don't got a gun, then you just feel like you could die any second. Uptown's been arrested several times, starting when he was 16 years old. I only pleaded to one of them. I shouldn't have pleaded. I was just young. I just wanted to come home. Uptown says he and his friends used to play basketball, hang out, and sometimes get money here and there. But he doesn't go into how. As we chat, his friends are inside playing Grand Theft Auto. And one of them, Jay, joins our conversation. He has an ankle bracelet on, and he's on house arrest. I'm 29. I had my 21st birthday on the streets. That's it. Like, this summer right here, this is my first summer that I had on the streets since 2016. 2016 was the last summer that I had as a free man. We spent all our 20s in jail. So, like, us now, we, I'm 27. I've been in jail since I was 16. I did 10 years. Both men have been locked up for having guns, among other charges. My biggest fear is being 10 miles from home, helpless, with four people trying to shoot me. I can't do nothing. Jay tells me he was shot in December of 2020, and even with his house arrest, he still carries a gun. I have problems to this day. Like, the bullet is still in my leg, like, to this day. Uptown says he stopped having a gun because he kept getting arrested. So instead, he bought himself a bulletproof vest. I just want to feel safe. So I said, at least if I come outside and the sun bad was happening, I could protect my main arteries. You know, the cops came around here and locked me up for that. So, like, they don't want me to, that's like the cops don't want me to protect myself. He was arrested, but charges were dismissed. I always had a gun for my safety because a lot of things out here is inherited. I ain't never been no troublemaker, but, you know, I got to protect myself. He says a lot of what he sees is decades of fighting between groups. So if you kill my friend, most likely we're going to try to kill your friend. It's just life, and it will never stop. Because once you try to kill him, now he's been through a traumatizing situation, so now he wants revenge. And once he gets revenge, then it's just an endless cycle. Both Uptown and Jay say Instagram is fueling the fire. We take a picture on Instagram. Can't take a picture in front of your car. Yeah. Can't take a picture in front of your house. Exactly. Like, because you don't want people to know these things, to know what you got going on, know what kind of car you drive. Just because you guys have had those inherent beefs or whatever, but it's think, not because... I think you got to move, like, just somewhere, like, literally far, like, thousands and thousands and thousands of miles. Because it can be, for example, there's so many neighborhoods in Philadelphia that's going through it with other people. So I'm from Germantown, TBK. I can move to Southwest, and the place where I moved in Southwest, they going through it with somebody. So I could just be walking to the corner store thinking I'm safe. 
Jay and Uptown tell me if you move to another neighborhood, you could also become a target because they don't know you. They just see a black guy with tattoos, or he's probably one of them. You don't have an affiliation, and that's a problem. It could have been people that was older than us that was going through it with each other, and they wasn't even shooting at each other. But because we grew up in a time where people was using guns, you know, a lot of us did things out of fear. A lot of the kids uh, go take a gun and shoot at somebody because they're really scared of them. So now they, get, now they hide behind guns. And then when they get locked up in the same city, they get put in the same jail. And then they be in jail fighting and stabbing each other. And then they both come home and then do the same thing. It just never stopped. The point is, they're stuck. I've never been out of Philadelphia. I never went on a vacation. I've never seen Miami. I never even went to Atlanta City. I was already in the mix as a kid. And then, you know, I was getting locked up. They've seen so many people arrested, shot, and killed. I've never been shot before, but my friend been shot. I don't believe in that type of stuff. That's why I always, I'm, I'm just being honest, speaking for myself, I keep a gun if need be. Be innocent as y'all kids are. I mean, we helpless, we just helpless. I mean, if our mom made 150,000, 200,000, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be carrying guns. We, we, we stuck around everybody, you know, crabbing a barrel. Over the past five years, about 10,000 people have been shot in Philadelphia. More than 900 were children under the age of 18. 2,100 people were killed, including about 150 kids. Gun violence is plaguing cities across America. In Philadelphia, which is the poorest big city in the country, it's rampant. Over the next four episodes, we're going to try and untangle some misconceptions and dive into the stories from Philadelphians who have firsthand experience. I feel like I'm carrying this big pile of bricks and every time I tell someone the story, I'm get, handing them a brick to carry with me. It took 14 months out of my life for attempted murder, which I didn't even do. I was found not guilty. So when I come home, it's like, we sorry for taking those 14 months out of your life, but all right, just go back into society. It's like it shouldn't be like that. Everybody out here not a bad guy. Some people just had different opportunities than other people. So you can't judge a person off what they're doing or what they're going through because you never knew the opportunity they had. You'll hear from victims, police, doctors, experts, emergency personnel, people who are on the front lines every day fighting this uphill battle. Where are the guns coming from? What's the lasting impact on victims, families, and the community? What are the systems in place to stop the bullets, and are they working? And when, if ever, will the bloodshed stop? This episode is produced and audio edited by Sabrina Boyd-Circa. A special thank you to Tom Rickert, Winston Harris, Christina Coppicer, and Myron Kaplan. Listen to more episodes of Gone Cold free on the Odyssey app.